In order to feel good about who we are, we need to offer ourselves the same compassion that we would offer to somebody else. If somebody came to me and said, hey, I'm, I'm really sick, I'm hurting, I'm sad, I'm having a tough time, I wouldn't say to them, you know, are you lazy? Are you stupid? You should be doing this, you should be doing that. We would never say that to them. Right. Right. And whatever you would say to that person, you need to say to yourself. And so that was the real book, the first book that really got through to me. Let me understand that, you know, I can't keep whipping up on myself and being my own worst enemy and succeed. Hello and welcome to the Own Your Role podcast. I'm your host, Dean Watt, and I'm your guide to exceptional leadership and dynamic culture in your business. Join me each week as we explore practical tips through fun and fascinating interviews with successful business owners who've mastered the art of leadership. Over the last 20 years as a keynote speaker, author, and high-performing team transformation specialist, I've been fascinated by what it takes to create a great culture and dedicated team members in a business. When leaders truly own their roles and empower their team members to do the same, a great culture is always the result. So whether you're on your couch or in your car, on a treadmill or hiking up a hill, get ready to be inspired and entertained as you learn exactly how to own your role. And welcome everybody once again to the Own Your Role podcast. I'm your host, Dino Watt. Excited for another great episode where we get to dive into what does it really mean to own your role in your business and in your life. And today I have Wally Bressler on with us who is going to share with us how he helps you make more money through sales. Now, if any of you have ever seen me on stage or have had me coach for you, I always come up with this point that in every business, there's actually only two positions. There are a lot of different roles. There are a lot of different tasks that need to be done, but there's only two positions, either sales or sales support. That's it. So when I read Wally's bio and understood what he's doing, I was really excited to bring him on the show because I want everybody to understand the power and importance and joy, in my opinion, of sales. I think sales is really a great opportunity to share enthusiasm for something that you have with somebody else, whether that be real estate, whether that be braces, whether that be cars, it doesn't matter. When you get to share that joy and enthusiasm and exchange that with somebody else, that's what sales is. So excited to dive in today. Again, thank you everybody for watching the show and listening to the podcast. Please make sure you share it with your friends and colleagues and make sure you subscribe to the show and let us know how you think we're doing. That being said, Welcome to the show, Wally. You know, pleasure to be here, my man. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to see you, and uh, your enthusiasm is infectious. We had a little pre call, and I yeah, like we had fun. I like yeah. people with energy. I like people with good energy. So we that's should, great. You, likewise, we should, I think we should, somebody should create a podcast, but the whole podcast is just what happens before the podcast. Right, exactly. You know, all the banter and the relaxed conversation and, you know, not, you know. You get to see all, the, all, what they used to call it, like the the DVD, like behind the scenes, you know. Yeah, exactly. Right behind the scenes. Yeah, it's all the, the gag reel. Yeah, <laughs> literally, right? That's well, Thanks true. for having me here, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, tell us, uh, first of all, where you're calling in from. Yeah. Yep. I was, I was born in... in Brooklyn, New York. I grew up in the Northeast, about 45 miles north of Boston, but I've been in Texas, McKinney, Texas, north of Dallas for about 16 years, actually 16 years as of uh, next week. Nice. Very good. Yep. And tell us your story. I always love stories. I always like starting with the stories first. I think that's the thing that connects all of us. So tell us your story and then get to where you are and what you're doing now. How far back you want me to go? You were born a poor man where? <laughs> when I was in Navin Johnson. I was born a poor black child. That's right. From the jerk. Yeah. Yep. Funny. I was raised by wolves in a wood thatched hut. Yeah. So, you know, I, you know, I, I was born in, in Brooklyn, New York. And, you know, I, my, my parents moved to New Hampshire shortly thereafter. And, um, you know, I preface my comments this way all the time. My parents were good people. They just weren't good parents. Hmm. And they weren't good parents because their parents weren't good parents. You know, and if right. you... 
if you're buying, you know, what, what they're selling with epigenetics, you realize that trauma is passed down from generations and, you know, there's generational trauma and usually it's up to somebody in one generation to go ahead and put a stop to it. So I believe that's, that's, that's rested on me. That being said, you know, if you, Dino, are you Italian by any chance or anything like that? Uh, Greek. Greek. Okay. So not that far. Still lots of yelling. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Still lots of yelling. Still lots of Uh, I'm I'm Greek Scottish. So we always say we're a lot, uh, we're we're a bunch of yelling with our hands drunks. That's what my dad, that's what my dad said. That makes sense. But so, you know, then you're, you know, Mediterranean, we're going to call it that. Right. So, you you know, when, when you're an Italian family, like there's three means of communication, you get yelled at, you get hit and you get food. You know what I'm saying? That's really, those are the three things, right. And you get hit with whatever's closest and, you know, and and I'm, I'm chuckling now, but it was, it was pretty crappy, you know, but you know, my, 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 my dad's mom was emotionally and physically abusive. My, my mom's dad, you know, he was from Italy himself, Calabria and, you know, Italians, as, as much as it's a romance language, aren't great at really, you know, you know, affirming people. Mm, yeah. <laughs> anyway, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, when I was three, four and five years old, you know, I'd be punished for things I didn't do wrong. And one of the big punishments was being sent to bed without dinner and um, or, or lunch or whatever. And so that really sparked a, a big fear of being hungry. I mean, I had a binge eating disorder for 40 plus years. My weight got to 500 pounds as one, at once. And so... Wow. You know, I was addicted to food for a very, very long time. Still a fight, you know what I'm saying? So when I was 10, I was sexually abused by an extended relative. When I was 11, I started looking at pornography. I was looking at my dad's adult magazines. And then I started having sex when I was 12. And uh, I was basically bullied for the entire time between the ages of like, you know, I can, as early as I can remember, all the way to probably, you know, 14 years old. So by the time I was 14, I low self-esteem, low self-work, lots of anxiety, lots of depression didn't believe in who I was and just, you know, I, I was not feeling like a good person. And then the switch flipped and I went from the person who was hurt to the person who did the hurting, mm. you know? And so it's interesting. And I'm going to kind of draw some parallels here. So if you had watched me from, let's say age 15 on, you know, I, uh, lettered in, in football and track in high school and I was a New Hampshire defensive player of the year. Uh, I graduated like top 18% of my class. I went to the number 13 liberal arts college in the country I lettered four years in football there. I lettered in track. You know, I was making, I don't know, $100,000 a year by the time I was about 28. Back in 1997, 1997, which is good money, right? So sure. got married, had four kids. I mean, things were great. Left, became a real estate agent when I was 30, sold 72 houses my first 14 months in the business, helped build a great coal banker office. Well, that's great. But what's happening on the inside is uh, I'm addicted to food. Um, I'm addicted to sex. I cheated on my wife four times. Blown about $5 million in my lifetime, you know, watch pornography several times a day. And then, you know, in early 2000s, I was doing some real estate investing with somebody and they lied on $15 million worth of mortgages. You know, I don't think he was, and I know I wasn't trying to steal money, but the fact of the matter is, is what happened is banks lost money, had to accept responsibility for being there for the things that I said and did, irrespective of whether or not I was trying to, I wasn't being a good steward. So... I spent 366 days in federal prison for mail fraud and, um, you know, divorced. My kids all had a tough time. And then, you know, I got out of prison, wanted to start my life over, really hadn't worked on all those challenges and addictions that I had. And then uh, I met somebody a few months after I got out and um, so badly wanted to be loved, really wanted to try and improve on the marriage that I had, you know, really didn't have great boundaries and just did not see the red flags coming at all. And uh, we were together for four and a half years, engaged for about a year. And I couldn't get her to move down here to Texas from the state she lived in. And I said, I just can't do this anymore. And I broke up with her. 
And three days later, I found out she had, had lied to me about everything. And she was actually married the entire time we were together. Oh, wow. Yep. And so for me, that was like the last bad decision. And, you know, effectively at that time, 30 plus years of bad decisions. And so a month later, I decided I was going to take my own life. Mm. And uh, were it not for a very uh, you know brief but impactful conversation with God, I probably would not be here today. And I was reminded then of what it was like when my dad died when I was 23. And even though I didn't have a great relationship with my parents, you know, it was pretty sucky when he died. You know what I'm saying? Mm. He was 49. I was 23. My sister was 19. I was 17. And so that came back to me. And then I decided that I was going to, I was, I was not going to give up, you know, but long journey. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, it's so interesting because, uh, you don't know this, my, um, my mission, my vision in life is to reverse the direction of divorce, addiction, and suicide amongst business owners and their team members. Wow. And obviously you, you check off all three boxes, right? <laughs> I think, I think all of us look at, uh, our lives and, it's so much in some ways, I think it's probably a positive thing, but maybe some people can say it's negative is we can see so many similarities through the pain and through the challenges that we've been through. It might not be exactly the same, but there are so many similarities that you can look at and go, okay, well, we're a lot alike in that place. And uh, I'm curious for that moment of this has got to change moment. Like when that happened to you, you said I had a very powerful conversation with God. What was that next day like? It was pretty horrible because I spent pretty much the whole day in bed. Mm. I mean, there's a thing, I don't know if you heard this before, there's a thing as a therapy hangover. Like when you when you have conversations with therapists and counselors mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you you let a lot of emotions out, you're literally fried the next day. I mean, your body, right? Yeah, you're, you're empty. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like even though, yeah, you're like, and so I spent the whole day in bed, but I just kept on looking up at the ceiling and saying, I can't, I just, I have, I cannot live with the pain anymore. Like as humans, we are uber resilient and yes. we get, you know, we get used to our own dysfunction all the time. We'll mm-hmm. make adjustments in our life and who we are. And we'll walk around in physical pain for years until we can't stand it anymore. You know? And so I did that for four decades pretty much, but um, I finally, I laid in bed and I'm like, can you just please? I'm like, you know? And so I'm like, I just can't do this anymore. I was literally at rock bottom. You know what I'm saying? Literally, yeah. And when you hit rock bottom and you can bounce or you can crawl along or you can die, you know what I'm saying? And so I chose to bounce and I, I started looking, I found, I found a, a psychiatrist and a, and a nutritionist and they both fired me because they didn't think I was serious about it. And so and that took, you know, and then probably April or March of yeah, the next year, I was like, I was still in rough shape. I still needed really bad help. And, uh, and so I, um, I did the, for the first time I put myself on a wait list for something. I'm not a wait list guy. I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like I, if we didn't have reservations at a restaurant, I don't wait in line. If we don't have tickets for something, I'm not, you know, I'm like, I'm not that guy. I don't want to wait in line if I have tickets. You know what I'm saying? I, right. <laughs> I'm just that guy, you know, I've been impatient. So I'm like, you know what? Something told me just, so I put myself on the wait list. And then a month later, they're like, Hey, this lady's available. And I'm like, I need somebody who is a, a food, like an eating disorder specialist and addiction specialist. And so I met Kelly and, um, you know, we still work together and I'll be working with her as of the end of July for three years. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Nice. I, you know, we all need coaches. We all need mentors, you know yeah. what I'm saying? She saved my life. And now she's, you know, helping with some other stuff, but you know, I finally found somebody. And I think, you know, when they say, and you've heard this before, when the student re- is ready, the teacher will appear. Of course. And so I was ready and she heard, you know, she, she met me where I needed to be met. And so I saw her twice a week for probably two years straight. Wow. 
Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, that's an amazing backstory. <laughs> and, and it also gives you an ability to probably have a lot of empathy for whatever people are struggling with. And uh-huh. I'm, I want to probably circle around to this later on about how the sales reluctance you talk about the reflection of what that is inside themselves from their past trauma concerns, stuff like that. Right on, right on. Before we get to that though, I want to talk about how you've obviously created this, this lifestyle now and business um, with the reflection of, I'm always so interested in people's own journey around personal development, around Mm -hmm. reaching out, like you said, getting mentors, getting help, reading books, whatever. What for you was the most impactful uh, words, book, event, moment that you can remember that you're like, okay, this is going to either change everything or I'm never going to get it. So great question. You know, it's interesting. And, and I've kind of learned this along the way, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm a huge Tony Robbins fan. Yeah. I, I got on a date with destiny. I went to UPW twice, walked on Coles twice. I went to his leadership program twice. I went to success 99, I've been to truckloads. I saw Zig Ziglar speak. I saw Brian Tracy speak. I mean, I'm, you know, I've been a big, you know, I used to walk to work when I was in Boston. I would walk from Charlestown to work downtown financial districts about 30, 35 minutes. And I would listen over the top of Zig Ziglar, you know, or see you at the top by Zig Ziglar, right? Because yeah. that's, you know, Robert H. Schiller. So just, literally, right? I'm not, I'm aging myself. I'm dating myself here. Don't let the brown age fool, the brown hair fool you, okay? I'm, <laughs> so, uh <laughs> Anyway, so I, you know, all kinds, I've, I've learned so much, you know what I'm saying? And I've gone to seminars and webinars and trained and things like that. And I just, like so many things impacted me, but they didn't impact me. Like I wasn't able to let them in. Yep. And so I'm going to answer your question, but this is kind of a long way there. I'm going to tell another story if that's okay. Yeah, but I, I want you to know that I love this because I think there are a lot of people who can relate to what you just said, which is I've done all this stuff, but, and it's still not hitting. And I'm going to tell you why. Yeah. I, I realized it from my own son, actually, not even from me, but from my own son. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, a lot of people, I, and I talk to people, your coach, we talk to people all the time. I read the books. I've done the training. And some people get like PhDs in training. They go to training all day long. Totally. Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Right. Yeah. And so, and here I am, not only am I going to the training, but I'm helping people become millionaires in real estate. Yeah. I'm literally fixing their lives and their marriages and all, you know, helping them become millionaires. And I can't fix my own crap. By the way, you can't fix your own stuff. Just so you know, you can't be your own. That's right. It doesn't work. People don't realize that. Frustrating, but still. So anyway, I'm, uh, it's, uh, I'm trying to think here. Four years ago, two, three years ago. So when I started this business, you know, I've got four kids. I've got a 23 year old daughter, 21 year old daughter, a 19 year old son, a 16 year old daughter. So about three or four years ago, I asked my son, Alex, said, Hey, why don't you come work with me? And uh, he's like, yeah, great. You know, I wanted him to come work with me, teach him some skills and stuff like that. And he was kind of not wanting, knowing what he wanted to do. And so I sat him down there. I bought a table, I bought a chair for him, got a computer and sat him down. I gave him a piece of paper and a pencil. I said, Hey, I want you to write down 10 things you want to accomplish in your life. And he's like, okay. <clears throat> and he had talked about wanting to go to Peter Lugus to get a steak. He wants a house in New Hampshire in the middle of nowhere where it's cool because that's where we're from. I mean, he had mentioned all kinds of stuff that he wanted. And he sat there for almost an hour and he couldn't come up with one thing. I'm like, ow. Like, and we, we, after I told him, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like, that's really weird. Like, why could he not get that? Now, so, and so, so <clears throat> I was like, yeah, that's really weird. And so I, I, there's a, a, a and a, um, what do you call it? A, um, imposter syndrome specialist. 
that I, that I know from England, super, super nice lady, Tara Halliday. And so, you know, I called her, I said, Hey, I mean, help me understand this. I said, how, cause I understand imposter syndrome. Like I understood everything we were talking about, but like, how is it that, you know, somebody can do well, but you know, they're not responsive to that's what we're looking for here to success and to, to all the good things that are happening. And so we talked for a while and basically what we come up with was this, is that when you have something that was traumatic or challenging in your life, when you were a kid and that it, it basically triggered that fight or flight instinct, whether it was fight or flight, what happens is, is that even though it starts as a little seedling, it grows into this giant sequoia tree as you get older, because you continually reinforce running away from the pain, running away from the fear, fighting, you know, your, your brain is so occupied with doing what it needs to do to protect you that it doesn't allow you to start seeing the things you need to see for good things to happen. Either you don't believe it's available for you that it can't happen for you, or you're just so focused on something else. It doesn't, it doesn't penetrate. Does that make sense? Yep. Right. So you're so, and, and, and here's the thing, like, you know, to, to give you an example here, you know, when I found out I was going to prison, I was also getting divorced from my now ex-wife, no shocker. So we made a decision to take the kids to a place where we knew they would never go again. So they could never associate that memory. And we said, mom and dad are getting divorced and dad's going to prison. You can imagine being away from your kids for a year and all this stuff happening, how bad it can screw your kids up. And it affected all of them. They've all been through or in, in, sure. in counseling, but my son took it especially hard and you know, he actually ended up trying to kill himself um, when he was 14 or 15. Fortunately, he didn't know that Tylenol won't kill you. <laughs> so, but he had a hard time, you know, but the, 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 the whole thing is, is that when we are so consumed with running away from the pain, from trying to make the pain go away, from, from staying stuck in low self-worth, low self-esteem, you know, need for approval, there's no space for us to believe that good things can happen and that all this stuff that's happening for other people can happen for us. So I can read a whole book. I can go, Hey, Simon Sinek, great book. Find your why. Right. I can't find my why. I can't like people are. And that's what happens is we got to make space in our brain. We got to clear out some of that programming and some of that crap to make room for the good stuff, to make room for the belief, to make room for the fact that some good things can happen for us. And so that's why I can go to a Tony Robbins event, feel really good when I go there, take eight pages of notes and really, you know, come back and put my calendar together, put my goals together, set my notebook out for the next day, all my stuff and come sit down on the first day is great. The second day is like, I'm tired. I'll just do it later. Third day is like, you know what? As long as I get it done before bed, I'm good. Fourth day is like, you know what? Weekend's coming. I'll just do the weekend. All right. On Monday. And the next thing you know, we, you know, and that's just, you know, Rick Carson calls it your gremlin, right? Yeah. It's your gremlin, right? That, that little whoever inside you that's like, go, come on back. Yeah. That's not us. We don't, success is not us. And, and so until we go and figure out what that issue is, which I've fortunately been able to help people figure out, it's going to stay there forever. It's not going to go away. In fact, it's going to get worse and worse and worse until you do what I do. And, you know, either severe anxiety, severe depression, PTSD, or you end up, you know, trying to take your own life. So, yeah, that, it's, so it's good. All right. So anyway, so the, 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 the book um, that really did it for me. It was a book by Krista Neff called uh, Self-Compassion, uh, the, the Power of, of, of Learning to uh, to Love Yourself, I think it's what it's called, right? Okay. But it's a book about understanding that, you know, in order to heal, in order to feel good about who we are, we need to offer us to sell ourselves the same compassion that we would offer to somebody else. Yeah. If somebody came to me and said, hey, I'm, I'm really sick, I'm hurting, I'm sad, I'm having a tough time, I wouldn't say to them, you know, are you lazy? Are you stupid? You should be doing this. You should be doing that. We would never say that to them. Right. Right. And whatever you would say to that person, you need to say to yourself. And so that was the real book. The first book that really got through to me. Let me understand that, you know, I can't 
keep whipping myself up and whipping up on myself and being my own worst enemy and succeed. So anyway, long way to get to where we got, but that that's but, what uh, I've uncovered. That's what I've uncovered. Yeah. I love that because uh, first of all, what you're talking about with, you know, not being able to, to kind of do it for yourself, no matter what you're going through, no matter mm-hmm. what books you get, coaches you get, whatever I'd had a coach years and years ago, talk about, you know, what those fairgrounds where you have those, uh, it's basically a runway. You put a vest on and you got the bungee cords in your back and you mm. run towards the target and you keep running and the, you mm. run as much as you can. Your goal is to try to hit that target, but those bungee cords on your back, keep pulling you back. <laughs> and he said, mm. yeah, which bungee cords are you still attached to? Right. That's mm. the reason why you can't hit that target you want. That's why you're right not so way. Right on. And that was such a, like a eye opener for me of realizing, yeah, I have a ton of these bungee cords and I'm thinking I can outrun them. They're always going to be there until I totally take my sword or whatever and detach from it. Right. I let it go and take the vest off even at some points. Yeah. Uh, so just real yeah. quickly, you start in terms of the title of the book is self-compassion, the proven power of being kind to yourself. Self-compassion. Yep. Self-compassion, the proven power of being kind to yourself. And it's right. by uh, Kristen Neff. Kristen Neff. Awesome. Yeah. If you, if you read like Brene, yeah, if, show you know, notes. Yeah, if, you, if you go and if you go and read uh, Brene Brown's gifts of imperfection, Mm-hmm. And, and learn that you are who you are and have to accept who you are and that everything that's done, you've done, but it's not, you know, it doesn't make you a bad person. Yep. And, and you learn how to accept that you did things, but also care for yourself and love yourself and give yourself the compassion you need. You will free yourself of so much pain. <laughs> so yeah. much, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And And to your point that you just said, we talk to ourselves so terribly that if we, like, if we had a friend that talked to us the way that we talked about ourselves, we would not hang around that person. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I've kind of adopted a strategy for myself or for my clients. Like you don't say anything to yourself. You wouldn't say to a kid. Wow. Yeah. You wouldn't say it to a kid. You shouldn't say it to yourself. And you little 10 year old, God, you're effing lazy. Right. You're so stupid. That's dumb. Should, should, should this, should that, should this, should that. But that's also where some of the trauma comes in of when we did hear that as a kid, right? Of course. Like, as you had hurt people, hurt people. Mm -hmm. I I give an analogy often about, I grew up with a a stepdad who would always point out my gut. Now I grew up a wrestler, a dancer, a performer. I was always exercising. I was always doing something. I didn't consider myself an athlete, but he'd always like be like, oh, look at that gut. Look at that gut. Look at that gut. And now I look back on those pictures and I'm like, what was he talking about? I was like 120 pounds wet. And yet, even as a 50 year old man today, I still have that trauma around my gut of like, oh, people look at my gut. People look at my gut. Yep. It's fascinating where it just sticks with us. You know, and I'm, I'm just going to, I'm not trying to outdo you. I'm just trying to read. No, it's great. Said, I still remember being 12 years old, 11 years old. My dad's sitting in his spot on the table and he's eating. And I had my shirt off. It was the summertime. And, uh, you know, I had that little belly that, you know, and he goes, you're always going to have that. My dad have it. I have it. And you have it. And you're always going to have it. It's never going to go away. Talk about programming. Literally. Right. And if you're an Italian family where, you know, my mother's motto is if you leave the table hungry, it's your own fault. Right. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't yeah. a matter of if it was a matter of when, like you eat it, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Eat, eat as much as you want, you know? So yeah, yeah. It's brutal. Yeah. It's tough, man. Well, out of all of that, how did you find your passion and talent for sales? Because really you, you spent a lot of time, not just understanding sales yourself, but coaching on sales. We talked about that a little bit before the show and you mentioned it mm-hmm. a moment ago. How did that translate into sales? Well, you know, what's interesting. I, 
having been a, a pretty high achiever and a strong performer, you know, I found that I did most of that sort of stuff just to outrun my shame, mm. really just to hide the fact that I didn't believe in who I was and, and that I wasn't a good person, didn't believe in that I was a good person and, and not a good person. So I did try to I find could. something you're good at or something. Yeah. You well, just, I mean, I mean, look, I, maybe that high, mm. I don't know if it was a high. I just feel like I felt like I had to do it to get approval, to get accepted, to, to mm. feel like I was achieving something and that people were going to like me. Mm. You know, I'm actually, I'm naturally an introvert. A lot of people are like, no, you're not naturally an introvert, but that's me too. I don't, I don't go to, you know, I go to parties. I sit by myself. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I go speak at events, like as soon as I'm done, I walk out the door, I say goodbye, I go to the movies. I yeah. Sit, yeah. Totally. I sit at the movie theater for three hours. I do, you know what I'm saying? I just, and the thing is, is I'm, I'm happy to talk to you. I have fun. I love joking around when I'm talking to my clients. I have fun. If I'm in a group of people and stuff like that, sometimes I'll be a wise guy, but I don't, I'm not wanting, I don't want to be around a lot of people, but you know, I, one of the things I learned from a lot of the work I've done on myself is, you know, the, this gregarious outgoing, you know, extroverted personality I have was kind of created to cover the fact that I was in so much shame and, and so much hurt and so much sure. you know, pain with dealing with the fact that I was sexually abused and, couldn't deal with it. Like when we were growing up, there was no sex abuse. There was no child abuse. There was no alcohol. Talk abuse. about it. No, yep. none of that stuff. You know what I'm saying? I didn't start talking about child abuse and sexual abuse until like the early eighties, you know? Yep. So anyway, so this, this, this personality that I've created and who I am today, you know, I, I, I use it as a mask. So if you, you know, when you look at me and I talk to you, you wouldn't know that at a train wreck of a childhood, you know? And so, but it, 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 it inured to my benefit. And so I, I just worked hard. I, you know, I went to I worked in a mutual fund company, started customer service, went to broker service, worked in the, um, the copywriting department. And then somebody said, Hey, you need to go to the sales desk. So I went to the sales desk and got on the phone and did really well at it and then helped, you know, work with wholesalers and then got my real estate license at, uh, at 30, you know, sold a bunch of houses. And then, you know, now I coach people and I sell, I teach them to sell. I have my own business. So I have to sell myself. I help them sell things. And so it's just something I really enjoy. And, you know, I'm one of those nut bags. I like being on the phone. Do you remember the, the first thing that you sold that you're like, dude, I'm good at this. Like that was awesome. I, I, I wish, you know, it's funny. I haven't felt that I was, you know, I haven't felt that I've good. I've only felt that I was good at something and believed in it probably like the last four years. I mean, yeah. I, 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 you know, it's because one of the first things Callie asked me, I remember we started working together three or three or four years ago. Three, she goes, uh, she goes, can you tell me about the happiest day of your life? And I'm like, I sat there for like 10 minutes. I said, I've never had a happy day. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? I never had a happy day. I just was not happy. I mean, and I love my children and I was glad when they were born, but I hadn't had a happy day. The best days of my life and leaders of my life have been like the last three or four years of my life. I wonder and if you, so, can, you mentioned this about your kids, right? I wonder if you can relate to this is that thing. Oftentimes I know that I felt this uh, to a level of when my kids were born, there was absolutely happiness, hmm. but it was followed with terror because- yeah. Now I've got this human being I've got to deal with and I got to figure my own stuff out. And what does this mean? It's going to take away from me, even that selfish side of things of like, okay, so now it's not all about me anymore or me and my spouse. Right. Uh, I don't know if you can relate to that at all, but that's, that's how I felt that came up. I was terrified and I, you know, I was making lots of bad choices and my kids were born between 2000 and 2006, you know? And so in 2005 and 2006 is when I did that real estate investing, you know what I'm saying? Which was not, didn't go well. So yeah. I was not a great dad. In fact, yeah. I, mean, I, was, I was only a good dad from the time I got home from prison, probably for the last eight or nine years, you know? So, but so, yeah. So who was the first person who you were bold enough to say, Hey, I can help you out with the sales process. Well, that's a different story. Okay. 
Because <laughs> there's a moment where it had to tra- trigger over. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I got some yeah. confidence in this thing. I can do this. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, and again, it's, how can I, it's hard to explain this. Like, and I'm rubbing my head because it makes my head hurt to think about this because I always came across as being confident. Does that make yeah. sense? You wouldn't yeah. have known that I, I, yeah, sure. I went home at night and had anxiety attacks and all yeah, that. Yeah, you can see, but, make it sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, but yeah. I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I can't, it, it just, it, you know, partially mutual fund industry where I was like, you know, you know, I would go and speak and they would send me on trips and sometimes they would send to somebody else's territory to the talk. And, you know, I was probably in uh, you know, my late twenties, early thirties. And then I was in real estate and I sold a lot of houses. And then like, people are calling me when I'm two or three years in the industry, like, can you train me on this? Can you train me on that? You know, and cause I had a good support system too. So, you know, at least the last 24 years, I, you know, I really haven't worried about, you know, what I could say, what I had to say, what I could do. I mean, it's kind of worked on it. You know, that makes, I mean, I had call reluctance for 10 years, Dino, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Saying from 88 to 98, like wicked call reluctance and working in the mutual fund industry helped me overcome that. And a lot of personal development did too. But at the same time, I, I mostly worked out of fear. Yeah. Well, that fear definitely is a driver for so many people. And yeah. then you finally get to the exhausted point um, where you have to do something different. <clears throat> so what talk, talk to us about the trigger sales system and how that all came about then. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I learned a lot about who I was and where my, um, where the issues I had with respect to being able to get out of my own way. And it kind of, I don't want to say it happened by accident, but I've been doing a lot of work on myself and I figured out some things and how clear I got on different aspects of my life after going back and seeing what caused it back when I was a kid and I never realized that a lot of the trauma that I experienced as a kid was what was getting in the way of me being successful, kind of call them hidden identities. You know what I'm saying? And like, you know, we have these identities inside of us that really dictate who we think we are and aren't, and we think we can do and not do. And so, you know, that, that, you know, I, I kind of learned about, and then I have a client, his name is Brian O'Neill. He's in South Carolina, firefighter. And um, he started coaching with me. We set up his plan, his goals. We're ready to go. I said, okay, it's time to pick up the phone and let's start prospecting. He goes, I don't prospect. I go, how can you be real estate? He said, I'm not prospecting. He says, I've, I've got referral business. I'm like, yeah, but you want to stop being a fighter, Freddie? He said, I know. And I said, okay. So I just kind of started giving him some strategies to work on. I did this and I did that. And I worked on him, asked him some questions. And I said, okay, we'll keep working on it. About 45, I mean, we're coaching and everything, you know, but about, it's about the 45 day mark. He calls me one day and says, hey, I just got a listing for half a million dollars. I go, great. Where'd you get that? He says, I was prospecting Fizbo's. I'm like, what? Yeah, I was calling for sale by owners. And he says, he got another $700,000 house to sell. Okay. Look at you. And, you know, so now he's, you know, he's, he, he, got, he wanted to leave being a firefighter in 10 years. He did it in two and a half years. Wow. And he's willing to pick up the phone. He prospects now. And so I'm like, wow, this is interesting. And so, you know, because I coached for a long time and I'm sure in your business, you meet with people and you leave and you're like, I don't, like, how, how can I help them with this? How can I solve this problem for them? You know, mm-hmm. I could coach everything and I couldn't figure out how to get people to get on the phone and I couldn't figure out how people become hungry and, and desire something. And then I figured out that I can help people get up, get over not being able to get on the phone, not be able to get in front of a video camera, you know, be willing to advance a sale, but I still can't teach people how to be hungry. I don't know anybody can teach that. I think that's really... That's come from inside. That, yeah, that, yeah, I don't think there's any coach that can offer that as a menu of services, but... That's kind of how I found out about it, you know, and it worked. And then I did it again. It worked and I started doing classes and, you know, so now I've been doing it pretty straight for about three years now and uh, it's, it's been working great. So the trigger sales system is really for the salesperson. It's not, 
how to trigger people into saying yes, right? It's really about triggering yourself to go do the sales. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not just, yeah, it's, it's basically how to find the triggers that keep you from doing the things you need to do to keep you from being successful. Love that caused that self-sabotage, that caused that, that stinking thinking and how to go ahead and change those triggers into, hey, I'm going to get on the phone. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to go and crush this. So I think that's, that's so valuable for people that you. are listening because there are so many books about how to sell but not a lot about understanding how to, how to, uh, so many books are like, just, just do it, just get on the phone and do it. But when you find that trigger of what it is that causes you to either not do something and so you can overcome it or do it, mm -hmm. give you that carrot, if you will, that's very, yeah. very powerful. Thank you. It does that bring us back down to the question that I asked earlier about the triggers. Do you often find they have some sort of connection to childhood trauma or previous uh, challenges or whatever in their 100%. life. 100%. And I've, I've learned that there's no such, there's really not an external solution to an internal problem. Yeah. The work has to be done inside. You know what I'm saying? It's all an inside job, but yeah. So let me, let me kind of break it down this way. Yeah. Sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, uh, being bullied. Doesn't matter as adults, you know, uh, friends, children's, whatever, children, whatever. Um, making decisions about stuff that we see like if you're poor and you grow up poor i grew up poor you know and a lot of people who grow up poor see themselves as less than see themselves as not being worthy of that they don't deserve good things um you know it's interesting or your parents our parents are a huge impact on that right so your parents fought all the time your parents never fought in front of you like people's parents people's parents never fought in front of them do their kids a huge disservice and the reason is is that Eventually you go in the world and somebody's going to tell you like it is, <laughs> and you're not going to be prepared for that. It's hard to have yep. relationships. So those people avoid conflict and, and confrontation like the plague. Um, you get a, parents get divorced when you're young, creates a lot of uncertainty. You've got an alcoholic parent, you know, who can't pour into you and approve of you. You have a parent that needs you to take care of them because they're, they're sick or they don't take care of themselves. And so you're robbed of your childhood and you create resentment around that, you know, and then basically the things that trigger that, that flight portion of the fight or flight instinct or the freeze portion. And then what happens is, is it just gets worse and worse and worse. And we find that, you know, 60% of all salespeople have a very strong need for approval and acceptance. They want to not just want to be liked, but need to be liked. Mm -hmm. And that not wanting to be rejected, that not wanting to look bad, that not wanting to look like we can't succeed thing. It just stops them dead in their tracks. Right. And, you know, and, and I, I, you know, the other thing is I was like, why, why don't people like to be held accountable, right? Everybody wants accountability until they get accountability. Sure. Why do you keep texting me to see if I'm going to the gym? Stop. Right. right? Got to so, get on well, the scale. Yes. Yeah. I got no. And, you know, and so what I learned is, and this is interesting, it's kind of tied to that. It's, 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 it's due to, we don't want to look bad. Yeah. We don't look like, we, we don't want to look like we know, we know what we're doing. We've really twisted the, um, kind of twisted the uh the meanings of, of 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 strength and weakness in this country we look at strength as hey i'm gonna do this all myself i don't need your help right i kind of like a three-year-old who's trying to put something together and you try to like you know that doing everything yourself and trying to do everything yourself and not ask people for help being vulnerable is actually weakness right so strength is being vulnerable willing to ask for help willing being willing to say listen i don't know this help me look better help me get better that's what true strength is and you know, if you're not willing to be vulnerable, if you're not willing to look bad until you're good, by the way, we look bad at everything until we do it several times. I don't know anybody that tied their shoe right the first time, right? Wrote, wrote their name right the first time, totally food right the first time, right? And there's no such thing as a self made man or woman. We've all gotten help from somebody. You see what I'm saying? It's and funny. So, 
Yeah, no, it's just interesting because it's so on the nose. My wife and I were having this conversation this morning. Uh, she just wrote her first book. It's a you know nice. romance novel type thing. And she's got three three and four in a row that she's writing. And so she finished wow. her book one. She's on the second one. She sent it to some people to, to give her some critiques. And she got some critiques back. And she's in that place of like, oh, I'm already moved on to the next thing. And I, I don't want to go back and do their thing. And I said, oh, oh, you thought that you were going to be done and people were going to go like, oh my gosh, you are a savant writer. There's nothing you have to change here. This is amazing. She's like, well, no, I didn't think that. I'm like, but there was a part of you that was hoping that you mm -hmm. would just be able to be that one person in the world who did it right the first time. Mm -hmm. And that's never going to happen on any of us. Right. No, no and you, should, and you should, you should want that feedback because it's going yeah. to accelerate your learning. It's going to collapse time for your success. Yep. I think it was E.E. E. Cummings that said great books aren't written, they're rewritten and rewritten and rewritten. rewritten. Yeah. Yeah. Writers aren't writers or rewriters. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, so I mean, I yeah. I mean, I when I wrote my book, I must have read it 15 times. Oh yeah. You know no, totally. I was like just you know, going through it, editing it and stuff like that. And then, you know, the thing is if you, once you're ready to take feedback, yep. There's excuse me, no limit to the amount of success you can have and improvement you can experience. Well, talking uh, speaking of books, a good segue there. Talk to us about Tragic Hero and what that's all about. Yeah. So it's part memoir, part personal development. Mm -hmm. And and really it's a book about my life story and how I got to where I was and then how I got out of where I was and how, you know, anybody, no matter how old you are, no matter how bad things were, no matter how long it's been since whatever happened, happened, you can create a great life for yourself and you can change it and turn it around. You know, there's always time. And That's then awesome. uh, if I can give a shameless plug, I just, I co-authored another book called Six Figure Agent. And um, it's basically how to make your first six figures in real estate. So I'm pretty excited about that too. So is that a new release coming out? Yeah, it's supposed to be on the 22nd, but our friends at Amazon, for some reason, didn't feel like they wanted to put it out then. So <laughs> that'll be out soon, but yeah. So it's uh, it's do with it. Yeah. That, yeah. And so um, that book right there is written by, you know, a bunch of real estate experts from around the United States and Canada. And everybody gives you their strategy on how to, how to write, you know, how to yeah. basically become, uh, make six figures in your first year in real estate. Yeah. Wow. Um, so now you spend your life helping people understand how to get better, do better at sales, to get past those triggers and, mm -hmm. and be successful. No matter what the, the avenue is, I know you were working a lot in real estate for a while, mm -hmm. but no matter the avenue, yeah. we're all in sales. So insurance, digital marketing. I mean, if you, if you are in a position where you have to talk to people to make money, mm -hmm. which just about everybody does, then, you know, I can either help you get over what's in the way of you being successful, or if you want to get better at what you're doing, I can help you with that too, either one. That is awesome. That's so cool. How, how can people reach out to you and find out great, more about you? Great question. So it's a thank you to you um, for giving me an opportunity to come talk to your folks. Um, anybody who's watching can get a free half hour on my calendar. Oh, so wow. If you're, if you find that you're stuck and you want to get unstuck or you want to know why you haven't been able to call or you've been procrastinating or being a perfectionist, just go to my website, triggersalesystem.com. My calendar's in there. You can grab a half hour. We'll sit and chat. Okay. Um, Trigger, no triggersalesystem.com. Yeah, triggersalesystem.com. Yep. No, trigger no, yep. No cost, no obligation, just you and, uh, and wow. I talking and then happy to do that or, you know, you can send me an email, Wally at TriggerSalesSystem.com, whatever you want to do. Let's talk. You know, I mean, you've been doing this a while. I've been doing this a while. Like, you don't get to be, you know, a successful anything by telling stories out of school. So whatever you tell me stays with me. And um, awesome. your, your story is not my story to tell. But I, anybody who wants to talk, I'm, I'm happy to make time for them.
Well, I got to tell you, I appreciate you telling us your story today Thank and you. sharing with us your abilities and, um, and and what you've gone through. I think I know I could relate to so much. I know that there's a lot of people listening that could, whether it be in a, in a very direct, large way or even a small way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very impactful and powerful. Now, we end every show with asking four specific questions around your role mm-hmm. and what you do. Uh, are you willing to play? Yeah, I'm happy. I haven't taken a pop quiz in a while. Let's do it. All right. What do you think is the highest and greatest responsibility you have on this earth right now? To make sure that my children grow up to be well-adjusted, happy, uh, self-assured people who are loving and caring and and have a servant's heart. Love it. What do you want uh, as the ultimate outcome for your life? The ultimate outcome for my life? Mm Mm-hmm is that uh, I want to leave a legacy where my children can be proud of who I ended up being and not the person I was. Mm-hmm. And and then basically that, you know, when I die, my kids can say, Hey, my dad made a lot of bad choices and did a lot of bad things. But at the end of the day, you know, he finished life the way he wanted to, when he put us in position to succeed and we know that he loved and cared about people. Love it. Thank you. What do you consider true leadership to be? You didn't say they were going to be hard questions. Top of head, top of mind. I mean, I, I think I think at the end of the day, it's a combination of vulnerability and accountability, meaning being willing to, let me take vulnerability, accountability, and empathy. And here's what I mean. Being vulnerable enough to know that you don't know everything and that there's a way for you to get better and that be willing to take feedback. Accountability, which is, you know, number one, holding yourself and doing the things you say you're going to do and then holding those people you're talking to accountable to what they're doing and then empathy and realizing that everybody's got something they need to go through. And it's our job to understand that, find out what that is, and then give them the feedback they need to get better. Great. So the fact of the matter is all of us will have a day where it'll be our last on this earth. We don't know when that is. So what experience do you hope or want to have between now and dead? I got harder each time. Um, <laughs> what experience do I want to have between now and, and dead? You know, I, I, I would, I, I, you know, I'm 54, I'll be 55. Um, I've never had a meaningful, loving relationship with a woman. Mm. So I, you know, when, when you spend most of your life having sex to be approved of, and you know, you, you you're not in, in a relationship for for anything but to be validated. I'd like to have a mutually beneficial, loving relationship with a woman who I can care about and who can care about me that we can accept each other for who we are. Love that. That's how's that for, how's that for vulnerability? <laughs> That's great, man. Yeah, You're, this, this whole podcast uh, episode has been so vulnerable. And mm-hmm. I got to tell you, one of the thanks. things that I talk about when it comes to owning your role is a lot of people think about it with their job, but the real most, the most important part of that is really looking at your role as a human being here on the earth and how we can connect with people. And you really showed us that you are really taking your role seriously as a human being, as a leader, as a father, and my wish for you is that that will eventually also be in an awesome, loving, powerful relationship. So thank you for sharing that with us. I appreciate it. It's very kind of you. And what do they say from your lips to God's ears? That's right. Yes. <laughs> from your lips to God's ears. I appreciate you, Dino. Thank you so much.
Absolutely. Thank you. Well, everybody, I know if you're like me, you feel like we've just been really filled up with great information and connection today. I really appreciate you listening into the podcast. Make sure you do subscribe and share to those that are you think would benefit from this show as well. I know that you probably thought of at least one person that needed to hear the message that Wally shared with us today. So Wally, thank you for being here. Everybody, thank you for listening. And we will see you all on the next episode of Own Your Role Podcast. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Own Your Role Podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you're alerted for every new episode we release. And don't forget to write us a review and let us know how we're doing. You can also follow me on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, all the social medias. Just search at Dino Watt. And if you'd like me to come and help your team or audience learn to own their role in person, make sure you go to DinoWatt.com for more details. I'll see you on the next episode.